team for leading us into the presence of God. What an appropriate song as we begin a new series on the book of James. You know, I went away a couple of weeks ago to write the next two sermon series, and to be honest, I was just looking for an eight-week series to carry us into November, and I figured, you know, James only got five chapters. I ought to be able to do that. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> I got to about halfway through chapter two, and into, at really the end of chapter two, I already had eight sermons. This book is rich. It is full of things that really parallel where we are uh, at right now, even as a church. But, you know, that song, it is well with my soul. Everybody goes through challenges and, and circumstances and trials and tribulations. And, and I believe our desire ought to be, even in the midst of that, to say it is well with my soul. You know, James, uh, you know, to be honest, we're not really sure which James it was that wrote the book of James. Uh, most scholars believe it was James, the brother of Jesus, and I would, I would agree with them uh, that most likely the highest probability is that it was James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book. And so just to give you a reminder, James, the brother of Jesus, was not a believer in Jesus. Uh, in fact, he didn't think that he was the Messiah. And, and, and I think you would agree with me that to be the brother of Jesus would probably be a pretty bum rap, don't you? Right? I mean, he never got in trouble. So, hey, James, I know you did it because he didn't. And so you can imagine that he struggled, but after the resurrection, he was 100% convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. James was giving leadership to the, the church in, in Jerusalem. And I'll tell you what, that would probably was a very difficult place to give leadership to as, as the New Testament church was getting launched. You know, during this time, they weren't called Christians, they were called the way. You know, and, and they didn't meet on Saturdays like they did in the temple. They met on Sundays because that's the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. You know, even though all these people that are worshiping together in the New Testament church that was in Jerusalem, many of them, if not the majority of them, would have experienced Pentecost and all that was going on at Pentecost. And so, you, you know, the, through the power of the Spirit, you would think if anybody would really have this incredible faith, it would be those folks and what they got to see, what they got to experience. And even if they didn't get to participate in that, this would be part of the conversation that would be going around in the church. Yet, as we'll see as we go through this book, there are all kinds of challenges that were facing the church in Jerusalem, uh, all sorts of things that were really challenging their faith. Even in the first couple verses of, of chapter 1, we will see that there was all sorts of trials and tribulations that were going on in their lives, and they had lost focus. They had lost focus on the very thing that they were there for, was to proclaim the name of Jesus. And as we go through the book, we'll see more and more and more that they weren't doing that. And they were getting focused on their circumstances, their trials, and their tribulations. I would say this in its most simplicity. They were struggling through transition. Transition of what they knew as they studied and, and really the rituals of the laws of Moses into this trans, transition into who they were in Christ now, you know, under the new covenant. You know, and as I was preparing this book and even reviewing this this week, it just amazes me how God will lead to the book that we're supposed to study at the right time. You know, as I look at the early church in Jerusalem, there's a lot of parallels to us right now. We are a church in transition. We are a church with lots of uncertainty. You know, where exactly are we going? We don't know. What exactly are we building? We don't know. 
When will that be? Not 100% sure because there's still lots of things that need to go before the, the county planning commission and things that have been postponed and postponed, and, and we sure are hoping to have answers for you soon. But we don't know. We are in transition. And in the midst of that transition, that oftentimes we forget to take our, uh, we, we forget to keep our eyes on the, the mission that Jesus has given his church to make disciples, and we focus on the uncertainty. And what begins to happen, as I'm confident, as was happening here in, in the church, and we see this throughout the book, that they had certain struggles that were taking place. Tuesday was having lunch with another pastor in the SBCV and he was giving me some encouragement and he didn't say these words but God used his words to communicate to my soul Dave don't forget the mission what's the mission the mission is to multiply disciples with the life transforming gospel of Jesus Christ that is the purpose of the church that we are to make disciples to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to teach people everything that Jesus has commanded us so that they can become followers of Christ and mature in in the relationship with Christ that is the purpose of the church this church it is not about a building it is not about a piece of property. The reality is we could do it without a building if necessary. But the mission never changes. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that. It is about making disciples. And a building is just one of the tools that helps us do that. I believe we've lost our focus much in the same way that those in the church in Jerusalem lost their focus. And as we go through this book, if there's one phrase that I would say summarizes the whole book, it is this. It's really two words, spiritual maturity. That in the midst of everything that's going on, what James is trying to say, it is all about our spiritual maturity. And even in the first four verses that we'll look at today, talking about trials, trials of many kinds, the point is it's about our spiritual maturity. And so as we continue today, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through and we look at what James was saying. James chapter 1. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Verse 2, here's he jumps right into it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let that sink in for a moment. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if I were to do a survey and ask you, uh, give you a list of things you'd like the preacher to preach about, how many of you would list in the top 50, hey, I want you to preach on trials, right? Probably not many of us. In fact, you might want to say, hey, preach on how to get me out of the trials. But that's not what James is saying here. Count it all joy. And so uh, there's a lot of things that we can deduce. And as I read the scripture, I mean, my mind just pops open with all sorts of questions. You know, I, I read what's not there that gives me insight to what is there. He says, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials, but when you do. In other words, trials will come. They are coming. 
And James says, don't get surprised by that, but count it all joy. Trials will come. And I believe there's all sorts of reasons that trials may come. And let me just go through a list that's not a conclusive list of why trials will come. First and foremost, trials will come because we live in a fallen world. Would you agree? Right? In, in, in Romans 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as just as sin came in the world through one what? Man. Don't blame Eve. Sin came through the world by one man. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so because we live in a fallen world, both our own sin, that, uh, with trials will come upon us because of our sin. But trials will also come upon us because of the sin of other people. And it's just passed down from generation to generation. But there's also trials in the world because there is a devil. First Peter chapter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Trials will come because of our sin. Trials will become because the enemy is trying to take us out. You know, and even as I was processing, as I was writing this sermon, I got to thinking of all the people in our church, at least that I'm aware of, I'm aware of six in our church right now who have cancer. Right now. And we've had others this past year that have died from cancer in our church. I've never really seen that much in one period of time a church this size of people that are battling things like that. I believe the enemy has upped the ante on us because we, we have been about fulfilling the mission, even though I believe we've taken our eyes off that in recent days. We have been about fulfilling the mission. We, people's lives are being transformed. Jesus is getting a hold of people as they read the word, and incredible things are taking place. And in order to rattle our cage, the enemy is throwing all sorts of things our way. I believe we can see that. And normally that's where we stop when it comes to trials. Sin and the devil, our enemy, yeah, that we stop there. But here's one that I don't think we often think about. Trials come because there's a God. Now, let me unpack this for a moment. I think there's many reasons why God will allow trials, even bring trials into our lives. The first is this. Sometimes God brings trials to help people realize their need for salvation. Now, I'm not saying God does this all the time. I'm not saying the reason for sickness is because is God's trying. I'm not saying that. I think sometimes a re sickness is just the result of sin in the world, and we're going to have to deal with sickness. But sometimes God allows things to bring somebody to their knees and to recognize their salvation. Let me give you a biblical example in the New Testament, the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are in prison. Right? You know, they're in there and they're singing psalms, hymns, and they're singing, and all of a sudden this earthquake happens and all the door is wide open. Right? And the jailer's going, uh-oh. Because the reality is anybody escapes, he's going to be put to death because somebody got out. And so he actually gets his sword out. I mean, logical conclusion, right? The doors are open. They're all going to bolt. He gets his sword out. He's ready to fall on the sword. And Paul and Silas say, stop. Nobody's going anywhere. Read the text, because here's what happens next. He says, tell me what I must do to be saved. Trials and tribulations in people's lives to bring them to their need of a Savior. I think really if you just really look at whether you've had the experience yourself or you know other people have had that experience where something happens in their life that finally gets them to their knees, they break and they realize their need for a Savior. 
This is why I believe we need to be very careful how we pray. Oftentimes we find out somebody's sick, we immediately get on the prayer chain and say, God, heal them. Well, what if the whole reason that they are in that situation, and again, not all situations are this way, what if the reason they're in that situation is because God's trying to bring them to the point of their need for him? And what if God were to answer our prayers and therefore short-circuit his will in their lives? Instead, we ought to pray. God, if it be your will to heal this person, then do it in such a way that they will know that you are the king of kings. If it's not your will, Lord, do whatever it is in their life for them to be closer to you. Help me to see how I can walk this journey with them and participate with them so that they can be led closer and closer to you. We just need to change our perspective a little bit. Here's another thing. I believe sometimes God allows us to go through things like sickness and trials and tribulations so that others can see Jesus in us and therefore they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I think of the people right now who have cancer in our church. Some of them have terminal cancer. Barring an absolute miracle of God, they will not be on this earth probably in a year from now. And yet, let me just tell you how much these folks and even the people that have cancer in our church, every one of them has blessed me with the attitude that they have. Uh, some of those have terminal cancer have come to their church and they volunteer their time and serve here. And the attitude that they have, I guarantee you, before God takes them home, he's going to bring a bunch of people to faith in them because they're going to say... How can you act like that when you know your days on this earth are few? You see, sometimes God allows us to go through things so that others can see Jesus in us, and they say, I want some of that. And yet we try to pray out those times of trials. But you know, sometimes God brings trials in our lives to discipline some of those who have backslidden. That God tries to, he loves us so much that he's not going to allow us to keep going down a path. He will bring discipline in our lives. In Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Think through the Old Testament. It doesn't take long you know, to even look at the, the, the uh, Israelites in the wilderness. Why did they wander for 40 years? It was because of discipline. God really wanted them in the promised land far sooner than they did, but it was because they had to walk this journey through the discipline uh, of God. You know, the, the New Testament church, you look at the church in Corinth, they were disciplined because of how they were handling the Lord's Supper and how they were treating one another, and the discipline came on God's people. But sometimes God brings trials to strengthen followers of Christ. This is amazing that when we, a lot of times it's 2020 hindsight, that we look back and we see how these trials have produced things in our lives that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And, and, and I can honestly say that trials can produce blessings. And I want us to go through the next few verses, and I want you to see that trials can produce blessings. So in, in, in verse 2, he says, rejoice when you undergo trials. Well, why? Well, now he goes right in there because trials can produce blessings. They produce perseverance. In verse 3, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This word steadfastness is the same word that we use for um, perseverance. The, the Greek word actually means the ability to bear up under. The ability to bear up under the trial and tribulation that's in our lives. 
We all go through things. If I believe there's three types of people in the room today, those who are in the midst of a trial right now, those who have just come out of one, and maybe those of you that are living in peace right now, but guess what? They're coming. And oftentimes, if we don't understand the purpose of trials and what they can produce and usually do produce in our lives, and and the purpose, as James is trying to say, it is for the purpose of spiritual maturity, we miss out on what God has for us. I was reading the story of a medical missionary by the name of Dr. Lambie. He was a medical missionary in the remote parts of Africa. He walked everywhere. He went to all these different villages all around Africa, and he would, he would do everything he could to help heal them physically so he'd have the opportunity to share the gospel so they could be healed spiritually. So he had a pastor from the States that was with them and was walking with them as everywhere they went, and it happened to be the rainy season. Well, you can imagine what the rainy season looks like, especially after the ground is so baked hard that the water can't penetrate. And they came to a, a, what was typically a little stream crossing, but because of the rain, it had swelled so much that it, it was a raging creek at this point. And, and uh, you can imagine the pastor that's walking with him is thinking, okay, we're going to have to turn around. Well, Dr. Lambie, he looks around and he goes and he picks up the absolute biggest rock that he could hold and he starts wading into the, into the river. I don't know about you, if you'd be that guy that was walking with him going, well, I guess I better find me a big rock too because he's about to leave me. That rock is a great example of perseverance, the ability to bear up under because it was that rock and bearing up under the weight of that rock that gave him the steadfastness in his feet to walk through that raging water to get to the other side. You see, too often times we forget We can't do it on our own. We forget that God is saying, I want you to bear up under it. We we forget that God will give us the strength to bear up under it. And that when we do, when we trust Him for the ability to bear up under, we recognize that He is the one that got us to the other side. And most of the times for us, it's in the hindsight that we look back and see that. But James is saying, count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure when you persevere, because what God wants to provide in you, it comes in verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials can produce spiritual maturity, that, that when we, are, we persevere, that steadfastness will have its full effect on us, that, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm not sure where you are when you go through trials, but I'll just confess myself that I'm not there yet. Normally I'm saying, God, get me out of this. Rather than, God, what is it that you are trying to produce in me that I can't produce on my own? See, that's spiritual maturity. The last thing I want you to see this morning is that trials test and prove our faith. So often people will struggle when they come and see me and say, I don't know if this is of God or this is of Satan. And I understand that struggle. I understand that, but just real simply, if it's of God, it's going to increase your faith in him. It's going to draw you and make you closer into the image of Jesus Christ. If it's the enemy, it's going to push you away from those things. But trials 
test and prove our faith. Some of the very things to recognize that I do have this relationship with Christ is allowing him to give you the strength to bear up under in the midst of trials and tribulations so that you can see that he was the one that got you there to affirm that you have this relationship with him. As we begin to wrap up this morning, the real question is this. When trials come, will you choose to be bitter towards God or trust Him in what He's about to produce in you if He, through your humble submission, gives you the strength to bear up under? We all go through trials and tribulations. Many of you here this morning are in the midst of them right now. Perhaps came this morning almost giving up hope. And I hope you've heard the very words of God this morning. And even in the midst of your desperation, I want you to recognize you cannot bear up under it on your own. You need to beg the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to persevere. So that as you walk into the raging waters, you will have steadfast feet as you seek to fulfill the very thing that God has commanded us to fulfill in making disciples. So as we come this morning, my prayer is that you've been encouraged. My prayer is that even as you've been reminded, I know my tendency is to look back now that I have this revelation from God and look back and go in, oh, ye of little faith, and while that, are, that is true, recognize that now God has given you this new revelation on what he desires to do in your life. He desires to give you perseverance so that perseverance will work out you, you, you in, in, the, in the maturity and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this time of invitation, maybe you just need to bear your soul before God. Confess as I do oftentimes, God, I just want you to get rid of this in my life rather than God. Count it joy. Even though I have no idea what you're about to do, I count it joy. Doesn't mean you got to like it. But I do count it a joy because according to your word, and I'm holding on to that, you're about to produce things in my life that I couldn't do on my own. Maybe you, need, you just need to lay your heart out to somebody this morning. We'll have counselors here that are here to listen. But God allows trials. Trials are there because of sin. God allows trials in our life because of what he wants to produce. Maybe he wants them to watch you as you walk by faith so that they can come to faith in him. But maybe he's trying to produce something in you so that you can have this incredible fruit later on that's going to win more people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the book of James and even recognizing the context of the trials and tribulations, the uncertainty, the transitions that the, the church in Jerusalem was in. Lord, that we can rest assured that where we find ourselves, both individually and corporately as a church, is no surprise to you. God, we all face trials. We all face tribulations, and God, I pray that you would help us to recognize where we are individually right now, and Lord, that you desire to help us to bear up under those trials and tribulations for your glory and do what no man can.
So, Father, I pray right now that you would speak to your people, God, that we would hear your voice clear in our lives. And, Lord, even though we're not totally sure what to do, Lord, that we would respond in obedience, begging you to give us the strength to stand up on it. pray all these things in Jesus' name.